everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Peculiar Stories and Far Out Tales. I'm Anna Howington. And I'm Kim Yellen. And we are just going to jump right in. Um, I have noticed that I tend to go towards a little bit more loaded topics. And I feel like this can be a little bit of one. So again, I'm sorry that this isn't like a jangly little like ghost story. Hey, I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, today I'm going to talk about the Bisbee, Arizona deportation. So, Oh my God, I don't know anything about yeah. this. Right. I, I can't remember when I like found out about it. But anyway, so um, it deals a lot with unions and with right to work. There's also like, just for fun, a little racism mixed in there. And oh um, but it's an interesting story. And again, it's, I feel like it's something that people should know about. The, the actual, like, event happened in May of 1917, but we're going to rewind a little bit to kind of set the scene. Obviously, 1917, uh, World War I was going on, and that mm-hmm. escalated a lot of kind of anti-immigrant and xenophobia in the United States. Hmm. And so that actually escalated when there was this telegram called uh, the Zimmerman telegram. Hmm. So it was a telegram that Germany had sent to Mexico telling them that if they joined the war on the side of Germany, that if they won, they would return Arizona, New Mexico and Texas to Mexico. <laughs> that's a that's a big promise. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I guess if, if you win the war, right? Isn't that how war? I don't know. I guess. So, but I, I isn't the war being fought in Europe? Like, even if they did win the first world war in Europe, like, would they be able to take control of the lands in America? I think that they're kind of assuming that they can get the the United States is kind of on the brink of entering the war. So I think they're kind of assuming at that point that the United States will enter World War One. Okay, okay. Uh, correctly assume that the U.S. would enter World War One. So yeah. they made this promise to Mexico. Because of that, in Texas and New Mexico and Arizona, a whole lot of anti-Mexican and anti-German uh, sentiment started. Hmm. They really saw it as like, um, this is Germany trying to infiltrate the United States and they're going to come from, from Mexico. I see. So... Uh, Bisbee is a city in Arizona, and apparently Arizona, one of their big, like, exports and one of the big industries still to this day is mining. Oh. And particularly copper mining, which you use a whole lot of copper in a war. I would think so. For, like, your machinery and stuff like that. Yeah. So that made the copper mining really important and a really vital industry. Hmm. So... There were about 20,000 people that lived in Bisbee. And Bisbee was kind of, the things that I was reading were kind of pulling back from calling it a straight up like company town. Like this town was essentially started by the mining industry. Okay. Which can be very problematic. Like when you have one industry controlling a whole town. Yeah. They made it sound like it it wasn't as bad as some of them, but it can be pretty bad. So uh, the mining industry in the town, the largest company was called Phelps Dodge. Um, and it produced over 63% of the copper in the region. Okay. And the most productive mine was called the Copper Queen. Ooh, great name. Yes, I agree. And I was looking up to see if it was still around. I guess it's not. And they were like pictures of like a tour. And I was like, oh, you could take a tour of the Copper Queen. <laughs> but I guess that that's been shut down too. So, <laughs> so Phelps Dodge essentially owned this town. So they owned the hospital. They owned the newspaper, which was called the Bisbee Daily Review. I love old newspaper names. I always think yeah. they're the best. Uh, they own the only department store. They own the largest hotel in town. And they own the library. 
the YMCA and the YWCA was uh, established by, uh, his name's James Douglas, who was the president of the Copper Queen. Hmm. So like I said, it was not as bad as some company towns can be, but it was still, you know, if you weren't working for the town, then then what were you doing? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So by 1917, there started to be two major unions that started to kind of come into town and trying to to get people on board. So the first one was called the International Union of Mine, Mill, and Smelter Workers. It was also called Mine Mill. Hmm. And it had a bit of a dicey history. It was kind it could be kind of violent. And um, it had, yeah, just kind of this reputation. And that was kind of, they were originally called the Western Foundation of Miners, but they went through some some rebranding, which is important. <laughs> yeah, especially if violence is involved, you might want to you might want to change your name. <laughs> right? Yeah, that that's probably not the best idea. Um, and then the other one was called the International Workers of the World, and it was called IWW, and then it was called the Wobblies was like their nickname, oh. which is what everybody like everything that I was listening to kept calling him the Wobblies. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try. So the Wobblies are the IWW. I feel like it's just that W's are the worst letter to have in an acronym. Like yeah, it takes longer to say W than it does to say World. Ugh, yeah, I, I hate true. W's. Yeah, I hate <laughs> W's in acronyms. I think they're the worst. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the Wobblies was the other union, and the Wobblies were the one that for some reason they became one of the most like notorious and least trusted unions in the country. Hmm. They were thought to be socialists and <laughs> very like anti-capitalist. They were also pacifists like they were the only major union in the United States to oppose the nation's involvement in World War One. So kind of like, you know, what's happening in recent events is the easiest way to attack somebody who's anti-war is to say they're also anti-American, which I feel like is really unfair is right is not fair. They were sometimes met with uh, mass arrest, deportation, violence. Um, The media was not non-biased when they were talking about them. They hmm. they very much portrayed them as kind of spreading chaos and unrest. Hmm. Um, and there were often laws that were specifically targeting the Wobblies and trying to kind of run them out of town. I see. Yeah, hmm. going all the way back to 1906. So, like, this, was, this is a, a union that's been around for a long time. And, yeah. But they ended up establishing a local chapter. So um, the... Um, Metal Mine Workers Industrial Union Number 800 was established in 1917 in town. So it was kind of the local chapter. Okay. So one of the big uh, goals of the union was to try to get the Mexican-American workers on board and in the union. And they were one of the few unions also that kind of welcomed in Mexican-Americans. And also Hmm. uh, people from Southern Europe weren't necessarily welcome in other unions, but they were like, oh... You're good here. It's fine. I like the yeah, Wobblies. Like they say, I feel like that's <laughs> kind of the thing, right? Like these like kind of anytime somebody's just like a little different and a little more welcoming and a little, you know, everyone's like, ah, they're they're trying to upset the status quo and mess everything up. Yeah. So yeah. Um, within the mines, uh, Mexicans, they weren't allowed to enter the mines by themselves. They were underpaid. Hmm. The foreign workers were definitely treated less than. And so the union came in and were like, you can't do this anymore. So in May of 1917, 
Uh, the IWW Local 800 presented a list of demands to Phelps Dodge. Okay. So there were a whole big list of demands, but the highlights were uh, that they would end physical examinations after shifts that were put in place to cut, to prevent, like, theft. And so, yeah, hmm. so they didn't like that. Uh, having two workers on each drilling machine, uh, two workers on an ore elevator, the end of blasting while men were in the mines, which seems... Kind of obvious. Seems reasonable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, ending the bonus system uh, and then no more assignment of construction workers to the mines. Sorry, I just burped. <laughs> and a replacement of the sliding scale of wages. So their wages were based on, they didn't have like a flat rate. The wages were based on the price of copper. And so like if copper oh. was, which it was like skyrocketing because of the war. Okay. So one of the things I was reading said that it went from 13 cents to 37 cents a pound. And so they got this raise in pay. But because the business controls the city, there was inflation within the city. So, like, things were costing more and it wasn't really making a difference for them. Ah, Yeah. So they they wanted to move to, like, a flat. They said $6 a day was, like, their flat rate. And they also wanted a flat rate for everybody because there was obviously a different rate for the Mexicans. There was a different rate for Europeans as opposed to, like, the white workers. And so they wanted to end that. Um, And then their last demand was to end uh, union discrimination. So they presented these, like like you said, fairly reasonable demands, I feel like. Yeah. The company, surprise, surprise, said no. So they cited the war. They said that that it was making things more expensive, that they wouldn't be able to to kind of keep up and, and stay in business if they were to let in any of these demands. So the flat-out denial of all of these grievances um, really had them come together as a group. And they decided one of the... It wasn't really a, like, formal strike. It was kind of more of an informal strike. Um, like, it wasn't voted on, and it wasn't, like, that type of stuff. But on June 26th, the IWW called for a strike. And uh, 3,000 miners, which was 80% of all of the miners that work in Bisbee, stayed off the job the next day and either refused to go to work or they refused to be strike breakers. Like scabs, I think is the word for that. Like people that would just work anyway. I think so, yeah. They said that it was a peaceful strike. Like it wasn't like they were being violent about anything. They just like stayed home. Like they just wouldn't work. And so (laughs) this was when... The sheriff of the town, whose name was Harry Wheeler, decided to step in for some reason. Wonder why. Yeah. And so he originally originally asked for help from the state. He asked for help from the federal government. And they were like, no, dude. Did he ask for help from the company? Yeah, right. <laughs> just like, hey, maybe we should just like, you know, listen to him and, and negotiate with no, him. No, no. That would be, that's far too... No progressive thinking, Anna. We can't do that. No, he he asked for help from, yeah, from the state government. And they were like, no, this is a simple labor dispute. We are not stepping in. Like, it's progressing peacefully. Relax. So the strike kind of progressed. People still weren't working. So kind of at the uh, behest, maybe, of Sheriff Wheeler, there were a couple groups that were started. One was called the Workmen's Loyalty League, and then the other one was called the Citizens Protective League. So, like, these groups are made up of prominent citizens and business owners with the, like, premise, again, I think this is something else that's kind of 
pertinent now is these groups that are like set up with the premise of like being American and, you know, whatever, whatever. But they're they're just I mean, they're just like Mm -hmm. anti-union. Like, yeah. So they were originally established uh, because of a previous labor dispute, but then they reconvened during the 1917 strike conveniently. Yeah. And so these rumors started to spread about the strike and people started to know what was going on. And so they and then there were also these like rumors that the one of the reasons that the strike was happening was because the Germans had infiltrated. So again, very I feel like it's very like anti-American, uh, like look at these like foreigners. So they're spreading misinformation in order to Re- Get what right. they want. Like when your company controls the paper. Yeah. You know, that's that's what's going to happen. Wow. Yeah. So this is fascinating. Well, yeah. And then there, there were like there's reports that they were going to dis- disrupt the city's Independence Day festivals. And so taking a huge step, Sheriff Wheeler started deputizing the citizens of Bisbee, like a ton of them. Like it says more than a thousand people were deputized. And made temporary <laughs> deputies in this town. And how how big is this town? It says twenty thousand people. Wow! And so, so they needed like thousands of people too. Right. This is this is fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait. It's gonna get more fucked. I just buckle in. So he started deputizing these people, and then at two a.m. on July twelfth. Calls started going out to all of the deputized members of the Citizens Protective League. Um, that they should start coming to town and they should start kind of gathering. The Citizens Protective League sounds like a racist organization. Doesn't it, though? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's very, like, what is, you know, the, like, what is the formal name of, like, North Korea? Like, I feel like if something says, like, citizens or, like, family or, like. Yeah. Like, too yeah. many times you're like, uh, what, is yeah. this a cult? Like, what are you, what is happening? Yeah. They're like, no, we're not racist. We're the Citizens Protective week like <laughs> how can you be against any of those words in our name and it's like well I, it's hmm. just yeah it's too clean you know yes, it's like yeah. you're trying too hard <laughs> you're trying too hard bro yeah um so then at 5 a.m this gathering of two thousand deputies deputies quote deputies. so that's like one percent of the town <laughs> right but they were also from like surrounding towns like this town called douglas like they were like coming in for this purpose like it wasn't just members i don't know how many were specifically from the town mm-hmm. but they would yeah they were like coming in they started <laughs> they started because everyone needs a uniform right so they all started wearing white armbands like that was how you distinguished yourself from the woblies and from the strike workers mm. So they didn't tell any law enforcement. They didn't tell the military. They didn't tell the federal government. Hmm. They just became this vigilante mob. Their first step, which is actually very smart, their first step was to seize control of the telegraph station to make sure that that information was censored going out. Like, they knew that they were about to get, like, down to it, right? That they Hmm. were about to, like, cause this big havoc. And they wanted to make sure that news didn't get out. And so then, armed with this list of all of the striking workers, all of the people that wouldn't go to work, they started moving through Bisbee, busting into people's homes in the middle of the night, like 5 a.m., like pulling them out of bed. And like everything that I was listening to kept being like, only two people died. And I was like, only? Like, yeah, I feel like that's too many people. So two, two people did die. There was like a deputy. I keep kind of air quotes around deputy. I don't think they had like a lot of training. Right. Yeah. 
So one of the these deputies, um, somehow they like got in this like gun battle with somebody that they were trying to to take. And I guess that the guy shot the deputy. And so the deputy died. And then three other, quote, deputies shot the man was kind of. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So. And that's the two fatalities. Yes. Yeah. That was it. And, and there was their fault. It, I agree. Yeah, I, that's, I feel like that's why I'm so like, like when they're like, oh, only two people died. I'm like, only two people died in the stupidest, like nobody should have died. Like that's yeah. too many people to have died. They went looking for trouble in like the the worst way. They're trying to tear people out of their homes. I mean, I'm shocked that only two people died. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a really low, low number, but it should have been zero. It, like, you're right. Really. It should have been zero. Sorry. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, so <laughs> in the middle of like I said, in the middle of the night, they forced 2000 men to march to the Warren ballpark. So to this baseball stadium. And when they were there, um, these trains started to arrive. So uh, trains were provided by the El Paso and Southern Western Railroad, which is a subsidiary of Phelps Dodge. Oh, of course. gosh. So these trains started right. It was 23 trains. Um, apparently the trains were like totally full of manure. Like it was saying like three inches of manure. They were cattle cars uh. and they were forcing the men onto these cattle cars. Like that was like the next step. They like wanted them out of town. And so they like forced them, all of these men, these 2000 men onto these cattle cars in the middle of the summer. It's July in Arizona remember. Oh my god. They said it was 95 degrees and then they were hauled out of town. I cannot believe I did not know this story. Yeah. This is so terrible. It's it's just I feel like it's one of those things that like for whatever reason is not like it's not in like the history books or whatever. Like I feel like union issues in general are not covered in like basic kind of like history this is so. so much more than a union issue, though. This is right. like a civil rights issue. Yes. This is an yep. issue with racism. This is an issue with, like, the problems that happen when corporations get too powerful. Yes. I mean, I guess that is a union issue, too. But, wow, this is this is crazy. I feel like it's a lot about, like, like man versus business, too, like, which I feel like is a— Mm-hmm. is something that should be covered. Like, it should be covered really early on that, like, yes, capitalism is important and, like, moving forward. And But you also can't, this might be uh, controversial, but I don't think you should put a business interest in front of human lives. I don't think that's controversial. Yeah, uh, there might be people out there that find that a controversial statement, that a person is more important than a business. Yeah. And so, like, in this case, they were like, you guys don't want to work? Then, like, get the fuck out of town. We don't want you here. Like, whatever. And they were they were putting a business in front of these people. Like, This is also an argument against monopolies because this right. town was basically just a monopoly for this one company. A hundred percent. So um, I guess by the time they, like, started loading people onto the trains, there were 800 people that were, like, able to convince them that they weren't in the union or that they wanted to work or whatever. So it was only, quote, 1,200 men loaded onto the trains and the trains left Bisbee, Arizona under armed guard. They traveled, are you ready, Anna? They traveled 16 hours (gasps) east to uh, Columbus, New Mexico, to this place called Camp Furlong. What about their 
families were they right. loaded on right. to No, no, no. It was just the men from what I heard. But that was one of the one of the reasons I was reading that like the city of Bisbee was not quote like as bad as other company towns was because they really wanted it to attract families. Like they were tired of like attracting these men that didn't have their families and so they would have to keep retraining them like they like used it as like a form of retention Hmm. so these these people's families were there like by design oh my these people had their families there but it was just men on this on this train so they went to this place called camp furlong which i found a bunch of different descriptions of this like camp furlong but it just seemed like it was like a refugee camp oh wow there were like different people that said that it was like a mexican refugee camp and then there were other people that said it was like a chinese refugee camp and then there were other places that were like it was just like a homeless refugee camp but everybody said it was like in the middle of the desert in new mexico they were over state lines which i think is significant like taking these people to to new mexico hmm Um, And so this camp did not have enough food. It didn't have the necessary, like, facilities to absorb so many people. Hmm. So um, eventually, I guess, so they kind of, like, let these people sit around for a while. And then the army stepped in. So the army got word of this somehow, that this was happening. Hmm. So the army set in and kind of got this camp, this refugee camp, essentially going. So... They started to give out rations of food, um, and then they tasked some of the men with digging latrines. Um, hmm. And then they also told the men that they were free to go. But it was like, <laughs> I'm in the middle of the desert, like 16 hours away from my family. I don't have any money. Like, nobody had any money with them. Oh, my God. Like, where were they supposed to go? And so then, so, so back to Bisbee, there were now armed guards that were roaming all of the streets. Um, They established kind of a kangaroo court and were still like trying people, like holding people, you know, telling people they had to come to court for these like charges of like vagrancy and just, just these like crazy things. And they told these people, so they told these people to get out of town and they threatened them with lynching. So this town was just like running amok for like months, like months and months and months. Wow. Yeah. So of the people, just to kind of, not that it like makes anything better, but they like start, there were all these rumors, like I said, that all the people were like all these Germans and like all these Mexicans and all these whatevers. So the army did do a census of the people that were left. It seemed that by August, so a month later, so it wasn't even like all the men, Hmm. um, but of the ones that were left, there was not a huge number of Germans. So there were 900 people that were still left and there were only 20 Germans. So whatever. (laughs) And so there were 167 that said they were American. There were 229 that said they were Mexican. And then there was just like a mishmash of like a bunch of other people, like Irish and British and a bunch of other European countries. So like, I don't know, not that that makes is really significant, but like the rumors weren't even true. Like it was just like BS. So um, eventually word got out that this was happening. Like I said, that's how kind of the army got involved. And then the federal government started to step in because, like I said, there was a delay in word getting out because they took over, like, they prevented Western Union from sending out any telegrams. Like, they took over the telegraph, I don't know, room or whatever it's called. So, like, no information could get out from this town. And But eventually it kind of, like, got out. There wow. was There was, like, a lawyer that was finally, like, contacted. So they basically, like, cut off all communication. They exported all these people that were— right giving them any kind of pushback on pretty basic workers' rights. 
And then they were prosecuting and threatening to lynch the remaining right. workers. Right. Wow. Yeah. So um, as public opinion got out, other people started to get involved. The The president heard about it and he set up kind of a commission. But it was very like victim blamey and were like, there was a quote that said they were removing 1,192 enemies of the government, disloyal citizens of the state, and processing probably wow. without precedent in history of the country in the point of the number of men handled and the facility and thoroughness with which the work was accomplished. So, like, people were, like, patting them on the back and were like, you were doing a great job and whatever. Hmm. And so um, President Wilson was contacted by the Arizona Federation of Labor in August to try to help. Was like, can you please, please help us? Maybe like this, this whole town is taken over by this like vigilante group of quote deputized, deputized sheriffs and we can't get home. Like we, we want to, we want to go home. So Woodrow Wilson contacted his close friend, um, Cleveland Dodge, who was of the Phelps Dodge Mining Company. So, hmm. like, he just, like, couldn't believe. Like, it, It's that thing that uh, that we were talking about, about how, like, you don't really know people. Right. Yeah. Like, like there is that kind of, like, I mean, I guess I can kind of understand if somebody was, like, your friend is doing this. To be, like, no, my friend, there's no way. Like, I know my friend. But, like, yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, like, you don't know. I also feel like... There's such a separation between, like, how somebody acts at work and how somebody acts in your personal life. Like, Oh, my God. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like you could be, like, best friend. Like, maybe Roger Wilson was, like, best friends with this guy. But, like, when he was at work, he was, like, a ruthless guy. Like. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, eventually, um, there was a commission put together to try to figure out what was going on. A commission to investigate what had happened. This man named Felix Frankfurter, I think. <laughs> was the head of the commission and he became he eventually became a uh, supreme court justice so like he he seemed like a pretty somewhat reasonable guy i guess huh. um so the government instructed the citizens protectively to disband their kangaroo court and put the city back in normal operation huh. the mediation also released a report in october that said that the, the bisbee deportation was illegal obviously and that no one there was no um no truth to any of their claims. Wow. Again, I feel like that shouldn't make a difference, but whatever. It's like McCarthyism before McCarthyism. Yes, yes. That's a very good, like, analogy that, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, you can't treat people like this. Like, yeah. can we just stop? They also noted that nobody who made the claims even really said any of the information in the first place. Like, they couldn't, like, figure out where the information started from. Like, it was a whole thing. Like, they were just like, this is all crazy. Like, can you guys please stop? So, um, again, there was a Supreme Court decision on it, and they decided that it was wholly illegal and without authority of the law, either federal or state. However, no individual company or agency was ever convicted. You know, and here's the thing about that kind of stuff, is that always seems to be the case. Right. Yes. There's all this loss of livelihood, there's a loss of life, and yet somehow nobody's left holding the bag. Everyone gets away with it. It's just, it happens over and over again. And it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Right. It just goes to show that if you have money, mm-hmm. you're never going to be held accountable. Right. That I feel like that's kind of the root of the issue, is that like, yeah, money erases all sins. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, if you mm. have money, 
you're not going to be prosecuted. I will say that the Department of Justice, so a federal agency, ordered the arrest of 21 Phelps Dodge executives and then several local leaders in, in Bisbee. But they eventually determined that there was no federal law that was broken. However, they did say no federal law was broken, but they like deplored the state government to, to prosecute these people under state laws. Apparently there wasn't, like at that point, there wasn't any laws against like kidnapping over state lines. And kidnapping so the, over a thousand people, ripping them yes. from their family and forcing right. them into, into trains. There's no law against that. Apparently there wasn't a federal law against that. Like there oh were state gosh. laws against that. I, I was reading something that said that the first like interstate law um, for kidnapping was the Lindbergh law which was not passed until 1932 about... Oh, the kid that got kidnapped, right? Yeah, Charles Lindbergh's son that got kidnapped mm. and, and mm-hmm. murdered. Like, that was the first... That was why that law was invented, because there was no law before that, like, no federal Isn't law. Isn't it shocking that that's what caused that law to be created and not the kidnapping of over a thousand people? <laughs> right. Again, to your point, this, like, famous man, like, that's yeah. what it takes. Like, it takes somebody that, like, has this notoriety... Famous white man... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This like national hero. And he's the one like, yeah, like you said, all of these like men that were put on cattle cars, like they didn't matter. Like nothing, nothing came of it. Yeah. So they they did. Like I said, the federal government did really recommend that Arizona prosecute these laws. Um, They also wanted them to because several of men that were like stuck in this refugee camp were drafted while they were there. Like the the United States had entered World War One and they were drafted. So Hmm. like they wanted they say that the deportation was illegal because it like got in the way of selective draft laws like Hmm. There were a bunch of things that like Arizona could have done, but essentially it didn't do anything. Arizona really. didn't do anything. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, nothing. I mean, I get I could kind of go on and on and on about how nothing happened. There were some civil lawsuits that were filed, but that didn't really cause anything to change either. That so there were zero consequences. Essentially. Yeah. Of the civil lawsuits, average between five hundred to twelve hundred dollars. Like Oh my for, gosh. for being out I mean, essentially, like you said, like not being able to work and not being able to make a livelihood for months, like being taken from your home. Yeah. But, I mean, even in like nineteen seventeen money, that's not enough. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. So even even today, it's kind of difficult to figure out what is true about the Wobblies and like what effect they had on things because there's such a like negative influence about them. Um, they did make somewhat of a change of three of the um the mine superintendents all got together and set up an official grievance procedure in 1918. Um, and then they got rid of the official, the physical examination. Uh, wages in the Bisbee mines did raise by 50%. So they did get more money. Okay. But then it turned out it was still, it was just kind of a temporary patch on things. And it, it didn't, I don't know, this is kind of a bummer to end on, but like it didn't really have any like long lasting changes. And and things, I mean, things are still like we could go on and on about issues today with unions and people trying mm-hmm. to to unionize now and and yeah. get safer work environments. How many work environments that their wages are based on, like how many pounds of fruit they pick? Right. And yes, 
a lot of them are undocumented and don't have protections under the law and what a messed up system we have as far as how we are getting our fresh fruits and vegetables in this country. Right. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that it's still to this day is fucked up. Yeah. I mean, even the like Amazon's been having a bunch of issues recently with mm-hmm. unions is that mm-hmm. like they don't want you to unionize and Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch that movie Nomadland? No. You should what is watch that? it. Is it it's on Netflix? really good. Yeah. It's really, okay. really good. I'll have to um, check it out. Yeah. Watch it and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. So so that's the story of the Bisbee deportation in 1917. And what happened to essentially 1,200 men being loaded on a train and driven out into the desert? Because because they wanted safer working conditions. Like Crazy story. I, yeah. I don't know why I didn't know that. I mean, I, I feel like I really should have learned that. Maybe I did maybe it was like a footnote in a history class or something but Mm -hmm. wow yeah i just feel like it's not it i mean like i said it's kind of a controversial topic it it shouldn't be a controversial topic but like the right to work and the right to unionize and the right to to um collective bargaining is has always been an issue like Mm -hmm. Mm yeah wow you everyone should be allowed to have a safe work environment everyone should be compensated for their work Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So brave of me to say that. <laughs> yeah. So brave I might Kim. be I might be really reaching out there, but I think everyone should be safe at work. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just a thought. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for telling me all about that. I, I feel very informed. Yes. You're welcome. So like awesome. I'll I'll try to pick more <laughs> fun topics. No, I but. love it. I think I think it's good that we talk about these things because if we don't talk about them, then they kind of get lost to history. And, you know, it's not like we have some kind of huge audience, but I'm sure some people out there listening probably didn't know that story either. And it might influence the way that they think about collective bargaining and they think about the history of this country. And and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. Yep. You know, we're yes. doing what we can. <laughs> yep. Or you are. I feel like I need to pick a, I think I need to pick a better topic next time. No, no, no. Because mine's a little, it's not trivial, but it was so long ago that um, it's, I don't think it's relevant. (laughs) I don't think, I mean, you can say that about anything that happens in history is that like, oh, it was so long ago, it's not relevant. And it's like, no, you need to know these stories. Like people need to know things that happen. Awesome. Yeah. Looking for your next great audiobook? Try Audible for free for 30 days. With thousands of titles to choose from, Audible has something for everyone. I recently listened to Intimations by Zadie Smith on Audible and loved it. The writing is beautiful and the author's narration was fantastic. Visit audibletrial.com peculiar to start your free trial today. So, I know you love the royal family. Oh, I do. So much. <laughs> So this one's for you. Okay. Uh, This is a story of the princes in the tower. Ooh. I think I think I'm I know a little bit about. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm still gonna tell you. (laughs) No, no. I I like know so little. Like (laughs) I'm so here for learning more about it. Yes, hundred percent. So it's not a long story, uh, and there's not a ton we know about it because it was so long ago. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we do know. We're going to go way back now to 1483 when King Edward IV of England 
dies unexpectedly. And upon his death, his son, who will become King Edward V, is only 12 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And his other son, who would be next in line after his brother, Richard of Shrewsbury, Duke of York, which I know is quite a fancy name for a nine-year-old, but that's his name. (laughs) (laughs) They get a little carried away, those royals. Yeah. Would be the next in line after him. I feel like... Like, 1400s royals actually had power. Like, they actually did something. <laughs> they had a lot of power, yeah. yeah. They definitely did. So you got to give them the, the really fancy names. Yeah, and you know, like, everybody in this story is named Edward or Richard, so I'm right. going gonna, gonna to use some, some of my own names. We're going to call <laughs> the kid who is going to be King Edward V, so the one who's next in line to the throne after his dad dies, who is King Edward IV. We're going to call that kid Eddie. Okay. Okay? (laughs) Okay. So Eddie's next in line, and his little brother, who is Richard of Shrewsbury, Duke of York, we're just going to call him Richie. Okay. All right? So we got Eddie and Richie. Got it. They're two brothers, 12 and 9 years old. (laughs) Anyway, because Eddie was so young, people were like, ah, maybe he shouldn't run a country yet. Right. So, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Might not be the best idea to have a 12-year-old running all of England. Agreed. Although, it might actually be kind of fun for a second. Um, <laughs> I feel like it'd be like, did you ever watch that movie Richie Rich when you yes, were younger? Yes, yeah. yeah. I yeah. feel like it'd be like that. Yeah, it would be, for sure. Yeah. Or like the person that runs for like president in high school, and they're like, we're going to put vending machines in every classroom. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Pizza day is every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think cooler heads, or maybe I should say the adults in the room, decided that, you know, he shouldn't become king yet. So what happened was is that the king's brother, the dead king's brother, who was the Duke of Gloucester, he stepped in to help run shit. And he was put under the title of Lord Protector to the two little boys. Okay. So he was the one that was going to basically take over the role of running the kingdom and make sure that these, like, two kids that were next in line to the throne were prepared for coronation and were ready to, to step into the job. I feel like that's got to be a, like, a somewhat common thing in the royal family in, like, the 1700s. Like, how often people die and dying unexpectedly. And mm, yeah. I feel like it probably wouldn't be super uncommon for, like, a very young child <laughs> to be yeah. suddenly king. Yeah, you know, I don't know a ton about the royal family's history, but uh, I think you're right. I'm sure you're right, because every you're right, everybody did die so young. Well, even, like, I mean, like, Queen Elizabeth, even like, Queen Elizabeth II, like, the one that's queen now, she mm-hmm. became queen at, like, 22 or something, 23, like, yeah. relatively young. Yeah. And then I think Queen Victoria was really young, too. Yeah, like, I, I don't think it's, ter- these are all, like, after this, but, like, I don't think it's terribly unprecedented. I don't think so either. Yeah. And, in fact, young Edward V... Uh, was supposed to be coronated later that year. So mm-hmm. he was going to be named king. I don't know if he was going to be in charge of stuff after that, but he was definitely going to be given the crown. So Eddie and his uncle, who was also named Richard. So we'll call him Richard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Eddie and Richard, not Richie, who's the younger one, but Eddie and Richard, mm-hmm. they make their way to London. They were away from London when the father died, when the king died, and so now they're going to travel to London in preparation for Eddie's coronation. And they've got all these people with them, all these chaperones and and people looking out for the kid or whatever, and they're all traveling together. And along the way, Richard, the uncle, the Duke of Gloucester, 
decides that he's going to arrest all of the chaperones. So all of Eddie's chaperones. He's going to arrest them and he's going to send them off to Pontefract Castle. I don't know how he gets away with this, but he does. So this is your first sign of trouble. He's like, all these people that are around to protect this kid, I'm going to get rid of them. It wasn't the bad guy in Robin Hood. Wasn't he named King Richard? I feel like maybe that's where it comes from. Oh, yeah, maybe. Well, I don't know, because this he doesn't last too long after this himself. Oh, okay. But we'll get to that. And while all these chaperones are at Pontefract Castle, they're actually beheaded. And that happens later on, but you can just know now that that's going to be their fate. Oh, okay. Okay. For no reason, really. I mean, they were right. just, like, traveling somewhere, and, and all of a sudden... They knew too much. Was, they knew too much, yeah. So, Eddie is taken to London. He's not sent off with the rest of the chaperones. And he's put in the Tower of London to wait for his coronation, which this is actually tradition for a soon-to-be-crowned king. They stay at the Tower of London until their coronation. Wow. That sounds like the opposite of a good time. Like. I, I think, I don't know how big it is, but I don't think it's like, um, there's like apartments there. I don't think it's terrible. Oh, okay. So maybe not, maybe, ta- like, I keep thinking of Tower of London as like a jail. Maybe it was a jail at some point in time later on, but right now it's not a jail. Oh. Okay. Maybe it's just to, like, keep them safe. I don't know. Yeah, that's got to be it, right? To Like, it, it's very, like, fortified. Like, I, I remember going there when I was a kid. Because that's mm. where the crown jewels are kept now. Like, oh, I wow. think it's a very, like, safe place, even now. Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe yeah. that was the reason why they put the soon-to-be kings there. Okay. Originally, he was going to become king in May. That was when they were going to do the full coronation. But the duke postpones this until June. Okay. Um, his uncle. So while Eddie's lodged at the tower, his brother comes to to live with him. So little Richie shows up as well. And you've got both the brothers. They're staying at the tower. And they're seen pretty regularly during that time in May, like out on the grounds, like playing around or whatever. But by the time June rolls around and Eddie's supposed to be coronated, the Duke just says, we're just going to postpone this indefinitely. Hmm. And shortly after that happens, the Duke declares that the princes are illegitimate and he seizes the throne. (laughs) And he Hmm. does this by saying he used this weird like law by saying somehow that the deceased king's marriage was not a valid marriage. Huh. And it's I, I read it and I didn't make any sense to me. But I think it didn't also make a lot of sense to the people of that time period either because a lot of people were really upset. But he said basically, like, these kids don't have any claim to the throne at all. Wow. And so he gets crowned King Richard III on June 22nd, 1483. (laughs) It seems so weird that you're just able to, like, could you imagine, like, I don't know. Like, I know that there's a bunch of stuff going on with, like, Prince Harry. But, like, could you Mm -hmm. imagine him being like, Prince William's not, like, it's illegitimate. I'm the king. Like, <laughs> I don't now. think Prince Harry wants to do that anymore, right? He's like living his best life in California. I mean, why yes. would you want to go back to London when you live in a mansion next to Oprah in California? You just, right. it's I, just not as great. <laughs> I think he's doing well. But, yeah. well, what is it Princess Anne? I think Princess Anne is like the next in line. So, like, if she was like, no, these two kids are illegitimate, it's me. Oh, yeah, yes. that would be like that. Yeah, yeah. totally. Do you think that, um, 
Prince Charles is going to take the throne after this? Yeah, I feel like he has to. Like I, he could abdicate it to his son though if he wanted to. I, he's been. I he won't. I he's been waiting for this for like sixty years. Like he's yeah. His whole life has been like prepping for being king. So like I do think he's going to be king for like five years. He's just so unpopular. I feel like it's bad for their image. I feel like though, like kind of arbitrarily like skipping him, then everyone's going to go like, well, if there are no rules, why do we need you at all? Like, I feel like you have to have this, like, like the whole thing of the royal family is that you have this like order and this, you know, whatever, like you can't just like make up these rules. And so for the queen to just be like, no one likes you. We're skipping over to this other guy that, that people like. I mean, they say you can't make up these rules, but like I read this story and like, there were so many times that people just, like, seized the throne, like, even before and after this. Right. Oh, yeah, I know. So. But I feel like now, like, now, I mean, the yeah. royal family now is different than it was in 1600s. Like, now you True. have, the royal family is is pretty much just a tourist attraction, right? So, like. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, if if the royal family just started making up ridiculous rules, I think people would be like, we don't need you anymore. Like. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, we don't really need them anymore anyway. It's kind of ridiculous. Well, I mean, I... I, I, I knew you were going to argue with me I know. on that. <laughs> I do think, my own personal opinion, hashtag brave, I do think that the the amount of money in tourist dollars that the royal family brings okay. to England is... I feel like it's, like, unimaginable. Like, it's it's a huge amount of money. There are there are castles yeah. in France. There are castles in Germany. But, I mean, do you ever hear about... Can you name a castle in Germany? Like, you know no. what I mean? Like, the, the amount of people that go to visit Buckingham Palace and that go to England because of the Queen and... Be, like, from, the, the, from that standpoint, from the economic argument, yes. I totally see your point. Yeah, like, I I mean, I get it that, like, everyone's like, oh, they're just a waste and they're a drain and whatever, just watching these, like, rich people do whatever they want. And But I, I do think that, like it or not, they're a representative, which is it's kind of awful to, like, not think about them as people. Like, just think about them as something that represents England. I mean, you can't take away, like, what are things that represent the United States? Like, the Golden Gate Bridge and the Grand Canyon and you know, the skyline of New York City. Like, we can't be like, oh, these cost so much money. Let's just take them away. Like, no, they're representative of the country. Like, yeah, I mean, they kind of all serve a purpose, too. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, one could argue that... <laughs> one could argue, that, yes, that the, yeah. that the royal family serves a purpose as well. All right, I mean, I'm yeah. not hating on them as individuals. <laughs> right, yes. It's hard to talk about them as, like, an economic draw or like a, a tourist attraction when they're they're people like I feel like that's yeah. always kind of hard is that you yeah. do need to kind of go which I feel like is the problem they're having recently is that yeah you don't think about them as people and so they kind of get like shoved like that must oh god it must be awful being them awful uh, yeah but like, gosh I know right ugh, Terrible. yuck worse yeah. I I also kind of think like everybody gives Prince Charles a really hard time about what happened with Diana. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. But, like, marriages can be very messy. Yes. Especially yep. when somebody's forced to marry somebody that they don't love. Right. And yes. I also kind of feel like if he had taken off after his relationship with Diana and had been a womanizer or something, mm-hmm. that would be one thing. Right. But he didn't. He married the woman that he said he was always in love with. Right. And then he yes. stayed with her. I mean, they've been together for how many years now? 
Right. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like people drag him through the mud a lot. And maybe it's not entirely fair, you know? Right. I mean, I loved Princess Diana. I think she was wonderful. But, like, if you force people into a marriage and they don't love each other, like, you're going to have problems. Right. And then I also, I mean, the fact that she's not here anymore, like, you're not going to blame her. But, like, obviously a marriage is two-sided and a marriage dissolving is two parties. Like, And it's ugly. If anybody's ever watched their friends go through a divorce or watched their parents Mm -hmm. go through a divorce or something like that, it's ugly. Yes. And anybody who's ever been in a marriage, can it's not always, like, you know— Rainbows and sunshine. Like, it's marriage is hard. It's really right. difficult. And with the added you pressure know? of it being so public and so, oh God, like, yeah. public interest story and everybody being so invested in what is essentially your personal life. like The pressure and the fact ugh. that, like, I mean, the upbringing that he had, mm-hmm. like, it was so limited. Yes. You know, yeah. like, you can't expect somebody to be, like, totally emotionally developed when they've had that kind of oh, like no. of right. an upbringing you right. know yeah they're they're on i mean we can try our best to be like oh prince harry he's just like me and now he lives in california what he is not like he was raised like so us. different no. and i i think he is become like the royal family in general is becoming a little bit more relatable yeah. but they were raised on such a different planet than the rest of us like totally yeah yeah, yeah i agree Ugh. Yeah, I love the royal family, but it, yeah, it's very complicated. <laughs> anyway, we're going back to the summer of uh, 1483. And the Tower of London is the last place that these two princes are ever seen alive. Mm-hmm. And the last documented sighting was by this Italian friar named Dominic Mancini, who was visiting the tower. He was in London in the summer of 1483, and he recorded that after Richard III seized the throne, Eddie and his younger brother Richie were taken into the inner apartments of the tower, and they were seen less and less until they just disappeared altogether. Wow. Now, (sighs) Mancini recorded that during this period, Eddie was regularly visited by a doctor who reported that Eddie, like a victim prepared for sacrifice, sought remission of his sins by daily confession and penance because he believed death was facing him. And that just breaks my heart. The kid thought that? Oh, yeah, that is really sad. He like knew he was going to die. And so he was like confessing to a priest every day. Because he was scared. This, like, 12-year-old? Yeah. And this goes further into my argument against religion, but I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But fuck, Christianity is so dark. Yes. Um, yeah. That a poor little boy would be thinking like this. I feel like it's not to, like, go back on your argument, but I, I feel like, I mean, religion... It has its good and it has its bad. Well, no, I just don't know how much it's, like, like involved in this... Like, it just seems like some, like, fucked up people doing fucked up things. Like, I, I don't know how much... Yeah. Like, it sounds like it's not... I realize that the church and the royal family are kind of intertwined, but, like, this no, doesn't sound like it was, like, a religious... It just... I mean, it's so sad that he knew he was going to die, and then it's also just so sad that he felt like... Like, he was going to burn in hell. Like, that oh, added fear oh of, God, like, like death, and then, like, also the added fear of, like... Is if you do anything wrong and you don't get a chance to repent for it before you yes. die. Yeah. Like the psychological like trauma of that on a child. 
I just think that that's sad for a little boy. Yes, it is very sad. Very sad. There was an attempt to rescue the boys from the tower in July, but it was unsuccessful. And I couldn't really find any other information on who tried to rescue them or what they did to try to rescue them. But uh, what it does tell us is that, like, people in London and in in the country and in the court were all aware that, like, something fishy was going on with these kids. And there were people that were trying to save them. Yeah. So the newly crowned king, King Richard III, it was widely accepted that he was responsible for the disappearance and the deaths of the two princes. Well, he's the only one that would benefit from Like, I feel like that's always the thing, right? You have to look at who would benefit from this happening. Like, he's the only one. Yeah, absolutely. So it's believed that he may have had an accomplice as well. Um, It could have either been this knight named James Tyrell or this guy, Henry Stafford, the second Duke of Buckingham. (laughs) With Terrell, there are claims that he made a deathbed confession to killing the princes. So that's where that that idea comes from. And he was also one of the uh, one of the closest people to King Henry III. So they just assumed that he could have been the one to do it. And as far as Buckingham is concerned, he was Richard III's right hand man as well. And it was assumed that he would have been party to such a plot if something like that was happening. Hmm. It's also hypothesized that perhaps Buckingham was fantasizing about seizing the crown himself and saw this as a possible avenue to achieving his goal. Yeah. Yeah. When you have too many people that, that want to yeah. want to be in power, there's always problems. Yeah. Buckingham did have a falling out with the king just a few months later in 1843, October of 1843. So He was subsequently executed at that time. Buckingham was? Buckingham was, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And if he had killed the princes, like, you would think that King Richard III would have told everybody, oh, hey, Buckingham did it at that point in time. Because he already killed him. He executed him. He had a falling out with him. He already had a reason to dislike this guy for whatever it was. And it would absolve him of the blame of killing the two princes. But he didn't do that. So... That makes people think that it probably wasn't Buckingham, or if it was, he was acting on King Henry III's orders. Yeah. I mean, I th- feel like whoever did it, the King Richard was involved. Like, Yeah, he had ordered it. And right. they say that the time that the princes would have been killed, at that time, King Richard III was traveling. So he mm. didn't necessarily, like kill them himself but he definitely ordered the murder of the princes right because why would a king get his hands dirty if he doesn't have to i mean this guy's obviously like a sociopath like he's gonna you know use somebody else to do the dirty work i feel like it goes all the way back like the the royal family does not live in the real world like to just be like i don't like you anymore i'm gonna behead you like yeah he did that to all kinds of people but i Mm -hmm. think a lot of it was to hold on to power oh yeah You know, it was all about holding on to power. But even, I mean, going, you know, moving forward into, like, Henry VIII, like, kings have been (laughs) beheading people that they just, like, didn't like anymore for quite a while. Like, Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah. So Richard III didn't last very long as king. He was killed in battle in 1485. So he was only king for, like, two years. Hmm. And that was during what was called the War of Roses. Yeah. And when he died on the battlefield, 
Henry the Seventh became king. Yeah, that was and, that's, that. I feel like that's what I kind of know is the War of the Roses, like that whole uh, like yeah. power struggle, and that I mm-hmm. find that really interesting. I know more about that than I do, and I knew that this was kind of the cause of it, like quote huh. kind of the cause of it. But yeah, yeah. Well, so then the other theory is that Henry the Seventh was actually the one that killed the princes, because again. Eddie and Richie, they were the biggest threat to whoever was king. Right, because they were, like, the legitimate heirs. Yes, yeah. mm. So one could speculate that Henry VII became king and found out about these two boys in the tower and had them killed. Mm. That's probably not as likely, though, because nobody had seen the boys in, like, two years. Wow. But maybe Richard III was just hiding them away. And then Richard VII was like, let's just off him. We don't huh. know. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. That's the other, like, person that would benefit. Right. You know, like you said. Um, so they just disappeared, and, and nobody knew where they were. There were no bodies. There was no talk about it. Like, there was no announcement. There was no search for them. It's not like, oh, they ran away. Let's go search for them. Mm-hmm. There was no investigation ever. They were just gone. And then in 1674, workmen at the tower were digging up a staircase, and they found a box containing two small human skeletons. Mm -hmm. And the bones are widely accepted uh, to be the princes. But this hasn't been proven. Right. And it, I mean, I feel like knowing that they like it's it's kind of like who did it more than like like I think it, feel like everyone knew that they were dead or that they died young. Like, yeah. But then to have their like they they were like buried in the tower itself. Yeah, that's a bit like. <laughs> and they stayed there for like hundreds of years. I, f- I feel like I've heard of like ghost stories at the Tower of London and those two like little boys are like, oh, wow. The tower ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. That makes Which, sense. I feel like if you're going to be a ghost. They have a good reason to be a ghost. Like. Yeah, and a great place to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, my gosh. That's, yeah. Yeah. So King Charles II had the bones buried in Westminster Abbey, mm-hmm. uh, where they remain today. And authorities have refused to allow either set of remains to be DNA tested to prove whether or not they are the two princes. Authorities of who? The royal family authorities? By authorities, I mean Queen Elizabeth, yeah. What? Really? She's the only one that could say, test it, yeah. What? What is she, what is she trying to hide? Why would she not I, want them tested? <laughs> That's weird. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just not top of her list. <laughs> I mean, but they have asked. Just say, yeah, go ahead and test them. <laughs> maybe it's one of those things of, like, respecting the dead, and maybe she feels like, you know, they were killed and then they were buried in this you know under the stairs of this tower and then they were moved and maybe just like wanting them to not be exhumed again i don't know i don't know what her reasoning is (sighs) give us a call queen elizabeth i'd love to talk (laughs) to you that's oh but she said no that feel i oh i hate that i hate like i'm like why not (laughs) just find out like just find out yeah like yeah oh i hate not knowing and then i were they buried like given, like, a royal burial? Like, are they buried under the names of these two princes? Or are they... I Like, what's the what's the know. royal family's official stance? Like, is it them or is it not them? And they just don't I'm, want them. I I'm don't. assuming if they got married at Westminster... I wish I knew. Yeah. 
I feel like I think they... It, I think it was. I think, like, at the time when they right. buried the bones at Westminster Abbey, they were like, these are clearly those two princes. And it had been, like, 250 years. Right. So everybody was like, all right, whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, like I, I feel like they have to, like, yeah, why would they bury them there if they just thought that they were just some, like, I don't know, some servants' kids that fell in the tower or whatever, you know? I think they might have been buried as the princes. Or yeah. they definitely assumed that it was the princes because they, like, made the point of making sure that they were interred with other royal family members. Why not test them and find out? I know. I know. Ugh. I don't know. I'm it's sorry. So annoying. <laughs> I don't it's know. your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I test it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the story of the two princes in the tower. And I guess they also haunt the tower, which I didn't find in any of my reading, but now I feel like I'm missing that part of the story. So maybe I'll come back next time and tell you a little bit about the ghost haunting because that's really interesting. And I think that they're definitely there. I feel like there's a lot of ghosts that like the Tower of London, like everybody's, yeah. you know, all like I said, all of like Henry VIII's wives. And... Oh, yeah, you're right. A lot of death. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think there, that's kind of one of those places that has been around for a long time. And there's always always kind of ghost stories around old hmm. places. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're right. Cool. Yeah, so that's the story. Thanks for thanks for listening. Yeah, I loved it. You want to do our rundown? Sure. Um, well, I did my first uh, 5K, like, post, not post-COVID, I guess, um, since, like, probably in a year, like, since all of this craziness started. I did my first, like, in a group 5k because i i do we were talking about this before i do feel like the cdc and everybody's kind of saying that outdoor activities are pretty safe Mm -hmm. but it yeah it was to be like back in that environment because i have gotten really i did do a whole bunch of like virtual runs and Mm. i feel like i just kind of got burnt out on those like Hmm. yeah i don't know i i like the shirt and then that's about it but it does seem very (laughs) like like that you're not like working towards anything like you're not working towards any goals when you're like doing them, like you need to do it right now. And there's all these people around and whatever. And so um, I was in Illinois with my sister and then some of her friends. And we did, yeah, we did this, this 5k. And I did not do great. But I feel like I haven't been running as much as I need to be. Or as much as I used to. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I did it. You. Yeah. So it, it was just really cool. It was cool to like, yeah, be back in in that environment. And it was, um like it was a dam run like it was a run around it started on this dam in illinois and then oh nice yeah it was it was a really pretty like environment like it was like in a i don't know some type of park i don't know if it was a state park or just a city park or whatever Mm. but like very green and yeah it was really nice it was it was it's kind of that like i mean we were talking about this before like that kind of like slow return to normal like kind of doing things that Mm -hmm. you used to do yeah that just felt really good like to do it again Awesome. Yeah. Great. Congratulations on finishing the run and, yeah. and, you know, getting out there and doing it. I think that that's, that's something to applaud because, you know, it hasn't been a part of our lives like right. that. I, that being around other people and I'm sure it was, um, I'm sure it was a really special moment. Yeah. It's just that, it's that feeling too of like, there is still like a lot of anxiety with like being around people too. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I feel like there was a little bit of that, but like just kind of being able to to overcome it and kind of go, well, you know, like I'm, I'm vaccinated and then we're outdoors and it's not like I'm like right up on anybody like yeah. that you're kind yeah. of being as safe as you can. And so, yeah. 
Yeah, it was pretty cool. But it was not, I, I've talked to you about this before, that I have a goal of doing a 5K in every state, but I have done mm-hmm. one in Illinois. So it was not a new <laughs> one on my list. I was pretty bummed, but. That's all right. Yeah. All right. What's yours? Um, okay. So mine is, uh, I haven't been running a lot either because, I don't know. Um, life. <laughs> life. And then I was, uh, I I went to back to go see my parents for the first time in a year because mm-hmm. I got I got fully vaccinated too, and I have a new baby niece, so I got to meet her. But I didn't run there. It was actually really hot. Um, <laughs> yep. And then also we talked about this before. I don't really like running in in my hometown. Mm-hmm. But so when I got back, my husband was like, "Oh, let's go for a run today." And I usually I don't like running with people. Mm-hmm. I also don't love running with him because he is a lot faster than me. And, um, it's just difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's like quite a bit faster than me, but it, he was like, oh no, I'll go slow. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll go together. Mm-hmm. I also like to listen to music when I run. I don't like talking when I run because yeah. I, I feel like I get out of breath really easily. Yes. Um, yeah. But, uh, so we went and he took me on a route, like that's really close by, but we did it the opposite direction of the way I normally run. Oh, isn't that weird? That's, I've done that before it. too. It was great. Yeah. It was like a whole new trail. It was yep. like, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never really ran this way before. Yeah. Like I've run this trail, but I'm always going to the south. And like this time we went north. So it was just, I don't know, it's silly, but it was different and it just, it just made it a little bit more enjoyable and yeah. it was pretty long and I, um, because I was with him, we kept a pretty steady pace and I didn't tap out like <laughs> on some of the hills the way that I, I might have having not run in like a week or so. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I got a really nice runner's high and then, um, yeah, it was just kind of fun. It's like, if you, if you are feeling a little stuck and you need a new trail and you don't want to find one just free run whatever you normally do backwards and yes. it'll feel different yep no 100 percent. i, I it's always weird when you like go yeah you like have these normal courses that you go all the time and then all you have to do is just like turn around <laughs> and it's like wow it's yeah. always the best to go on a new trail like, totally yeah very much. I feel like that with clothes too like you know when you like get a new shirt you're like oh i've got this this is awesome and it's like well it's just a new shirt but <laughs> I do that anyway. I haven't clothes? gone clothes shopping in so long. Well, I mean, like running clothes. Like nothing fits me anymore. I've oh. like, I literally like when I went back to Texas, I was wearing jeans for the first time in a long time, and I was uh, like, oh my god, I yeah. can't believe I've like, yeah, like uh, I, I, think I that. haven't had an experience like that, like that, <laughs> like where I, because you know, like you're wearing clothes and like. I don't know, just to, like, not wear jeans for mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, not be moving the way you used to. Because I used to, like, for my job, I was standing and moving around the right. whole time. Like, I was right. never sitting down, really. Yeah. And I just sat down for this last year, and wow, it makes a, yeah. makes a difference. But yes. it's okay. Yeah. I'm not going to be upset okay. about it. I'm just going to buy some new jeans. Yeah. You know? I, I feel like it's that's... Right. You, it's... I don't know. Like to, you can't be hard about hard on yourself about something like that. Like no, it, it yeah. is kind of is what it is. And and if you don't like it, change it. If if you're okay with it, then yeah, just go buy some new jeans. I'm kind of okay with it too. Yeah, 
I feel like you I should just, be. It's just, like, I'm more okay with not being comfortable in the clothes that I currently mm-hmm. have. <laughs> like, yes. But it's not like a, it's not like necessarily like an image thing. It's just like, a, oh God, I got to find some new jeans. Yeah. I feel that's, I feel like that's kind of like self-care to like, like just keep forcing yourself into your, your jeans. Like, I feel like that's not healthy. Like it's like self-care no. to be like, I deserve to be comfortable and I deserve to be in yeah. things that, that look good and yeah. that fit me the way that they're supposed to. Like. Yeah, and who cares if it's another size up? Like, who cares? I'm a woman, you know. Yeah. I can, I can wear a size up. It's all right. Right. Yeah. I don't. I, clothes sizes are so like <laughs> arbitrary too, and like, they're so weird too. Like yes. one brand will have you in something completely different than another brand, and then it'll like kind of fuck with your head. And like, yes. I just don't think it's yeah. good. Yes, I think that's what it is. Is you're like, oh my god. Like for me, I'm like, oh, I was, I'm a size ten in this one, and then you go and try in something else, and you're fourteen, and I'm like, oh. And it's like you haven't changed. It's just a right. different brand, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 Women's clothes sizes. Whatever. Yeah. You know, I feel a little bit better, though, with this little bit of extra weight on, honestly. Good. Yeah. Like, I do. Like, I just feel a little healthier in a weird way. I mean, I feel like you deserve it. Like, I feel like we as a, like, culture deserve a year to just kind of, like, take care of ourselves and eat whatever we want to eat. and yeah. Maybe not get, you know. If you got super healthy over, like, quarantine, like, mad props to you. But, like, if you didn't, like, that's okay, too. Like, Totally okay. I don't know. If you you succeeded and you did a whole bunch and you, like, you know, really moved forward in this quarantine, then great. But if you didn't and you just, like, sat at home and took care of yourself, then that's fine. Like, I feel like this has been such a weird year that, like, you need to, like. It really has. Yeah. Like, acknowledge that, like, you're doing great. Like, we're we're moving forward. Everyone's doing great. Yeah. It's okay. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay if you didn't get everything done. Right. And, you know, the other thing that I noticed is, is that, like, I thought, like, before COVID happened, I was like, oh, there are so many things I want to do, but work gets in the way of, mm-hmm. like, some of my passion projects or some of the other things that I, you know, mm-hmm. want to do. And I actually found that once I stopped working... And um, all the devastation of of losing my business and all of that, Mm -hmm. even with all the time that I had, I was way more productive when I was working. Yeah. Even on other things that I was doing because I was just like mentally in such a better place. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of feel like it's like this, there's this false equivalency that we tell ourselves like, oh, if I... If I had all the time in the world, I'd do all the things that I want to do. And it's right. like, that might not necessarily be the case. And it might not be what you need. Like, you might yeah. not need to do all the things in the world. Like, Yeah, right? Like, mm-hmm. why, why do we put this pressure on ourselves? Yeah. I think sitting around and wasting, quote, wasting a day and just watching TV and sitting on your couch, like, that's, that's what you need. And do it. Like, do it the best you can and also I feel like I was just like in such a recovery mode Mm -hmm. from all Mm -hmm. of the like trauma of the year just like all the shit on the news we were watching all the death all the right the crazy politics and the the horrible injustices and it's just like like how how can we expect ourselves to like be super productive throughout that if I mean I guess if you're like a totally like not I mean, if you can tune it out, like, congratulations, or if you just don't give a shit about other people, right. <laughs> you yes. know, like, like, but for me, yeah. watching all of that was, it affected me. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and without work to distract me, forget about it. 
Right. And I mean, we were talking about like kind of taking a break from like social media and stuff like that, too. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like that got much worse than it was before, too, because everybody's kind of at home and all they can do is kind of sit around and make yeah. comments on other people's lives. And yeah, yeah, yeah. we were talking about that. I was going to comment on somebody's life and then I was like, no, I yeah. don't. It's not. I don't care. <laughs> right. It's just, just take care of yourself. Like, to, I feel like everybody kind of, like, we run around and, like, try to make sure that, like, everybody else is okay. But, like, you, what is that expression? You can't, you can't pour from an empty glass. Like, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you can, like, move on. But, but like, totally. self-care looks different for everybody. Like. It if, does. Yeah. yeah. If your self-care means that, that you gain 20 pounds, like it did for me, then, then great. Like. <laughs> Yeah, what? and it's different at different times in your life, right. too. Right, yes, Like, yeah. this year is probably very different for people than any time before. Right, you know? 100%. Yep. Yeah. Very true. <sighs> totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, check us out online at PeculiarStoriesAndFarOutTales.com, on Instagram at PeculiarStoriesAndFarOutTales, and our Patreon is? Uh, Patreon.com slash P-S-A-F-O-T. Yep, and leave us a review, please. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, subscribe, and share, please. We really appreciate it. And yep. remember, it's far better to be peculiar than to be boring. Woohoo! Bye, y'all.